want to ask you one question. What do you want to be remembered for? season i hope everybody did i hope if you listened you took some advice and you made yourself some money because i know these two guys definitely did i want to welcome you in right now to the full tilt fantasy dfs edition podcast volume two week two we're going to talk a little bit more about some strategy. We're going to talk a little bit more about some terminology. Our stacks of the week. Jacob's going to run us through a big, ridiculous win that he ended up crushing just last night alone. Super stoked about it. And we will get into a little bit of our results from last week and then point you in the right direction this week to turn some chump change into big time money. Jacob, you crushed it. You crushed it last week. You crushed it last night. How did you end up winning? The well, $2,400, I think it was last night? Big yes, pop. it was. It was, a, uh, it was a good night for the uh, Full Tilt uh, DFS. Um, so last weekend, we came off a pretty good start to the year. We had a 20% return on investment. Um, uh, well, 120, 120%, but we finished up 20%. So that was pretty solid. And then we went into uh, last night. I decided to play only one lineup. Um, and we went with the contrarian Chubb Hunt stack with uh, Chubb in the MVP slot on the single game slate. Uh, we paired that with Odell Beckham, Joe Burrow, and Tyler Boyd. And it was looking pretty good for most of the night. And then on the Joe Burrow to Tyler Boyd connection on the last play, that turned us into the nuts. We had the nuts. We had the optimal lineup. And... Um, that, that took down the FanDuel contest last night um, in the single-game slate. So there was myself and five other people had the nuts on that lineup. Um, and so it was, a, uh, it was a split pool on a, on a 5K first prize and whatever the, the payout was after that. So we ended up getting, uh, yeah, over 2000 bucks. So it was a pretty nice cash. That was, that was uh, a really good way to start the season and start week two. Yeah, it, it adds that little bit extra converting that to Canadian currency. It gives us that. <laughs> yeah little bit, I guess. Yeah, I think that, <sighs> man, I should have listened to my friend in Cincinnati who told me to play all of Tyler Boyd this week. It's all they talked about there, and it's just Boyd, 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 Boyd. Didn't expect the 13 targets to A.J. Green. That was, a, that was an interesting development. That was one of the most inefficient 13 targets of all time. Uh, a lot of it wasn't his fault, though. Like, no. He got, laid just... out, he got laid out to die a few times by Burrow. Yeah. People don't seem to be talking about so far this week and that or like today i guess and, and that really bugs me but overall big huge win uh, i myself last week on my big million dollar gonna make more money than jacob lineup last week i did uh i did get a return investment i doubled my money for that 
so that that worked out. It was good. Um, overall, I think on the whole week, I think I ended up somewhere in the 10% uh, up. So whatever, we're up, we're good. And I, again, I don't play DFS. So me making any bit of money on this is a good thing. And hopefully we're going to take Jacob's next bit of advice here and make some more money. Uh, one thing I did want to remind you of, we like to talk about a terminology or or a piece of information that maybe gets used a lot and not explained at all. So this week, Jacob, what are we going to to bring to light for everybody listening? For sure. So for anyone that's listening to this podcast and didn't listen last week, I think we went over um, probably the most essential thing you need to know in DFS, which is the difference between cash games and tournaments and how to do that strategy. This week, and it's something that I always like to look at in the early season, is pace of play and utilizing pace of play when you're making DFS lineups. So for a lot of the rest of the season, when we talk about game sacks, I'm going to be referring to games, either pace up games or pace down games. And essentially what that means is we're looking at games um, where one team, especially, or hopefully both teams, run at a much faster pace than average. Um, of course, in DFS, whenever you have teams that are running plays faster, they're going to run more plays, and that allows for a lot more fantasy opportunities. And it's something that doesn't necessarily always get factored in when you just think about the matchups and who's going up against teams that, that might give up a lot of points. So, for instance, this week, the Atlanta-Dallas game is a matchup between two teams that both ranked in the top 10 in pace last year um, in situation neutral, which that means when um, the game is within six points on either side, and they both ranked in the top 10 again in week one. So you're looking at a game there with two really high-powered offenses um, that's going to have a lot of play volume, and that leads to a lot of fantasy success. Um, what is especially interesting on the trends is last week, we saw a number of teams really change their MO from a pace perspective from last year to this year. And what's going to be interesting is to try and decipher, was that a one-game aberration? Or are these teams really making changes that we should be looking at and maybe viewing them in a different way than we would have? So one of those teams um, was the Jets, actually. They yeah. went from the slowest team in the NFL last year, or the second slowest team in the NFL last year, and Adam Gase's offenses have always been usually among the top five slowest teams. They were first. They were first in situation-neutral pace Please. last week. Um, it was a completely different offensive style for an Adam Gase team. And they get the 49ers this week, who, as long as Kyle Shanahan has been a coach or an offensive coordinator in the NFL, he always runs offenses at a very high pace. So if this is just the new normal for the Jets and Adam Gase actually wants to be a piece, a pace up coach this year. That's a game that might be a little bit sneaky on the overside. Um, another one is Buffalo. They were not a particularly fast team. They were a little bit below average for the last year of Brian Dabble as the offensive coordinator um, under McDermott as head coach. This year they came out gunning. They were sixth in overall pace. Um, and, now going against Miami, which is about a middle-of-the-road pace team, but they played against New England in Week 1, who is extremely slow. So you're going to get an elevated situation for Miami where they're going from facing one of the slowest teams in the NFL to at least in the first week one of the fastest. Um, that's going to make them more interesting. Buffalo could just be more interesting in general, which is great because Josh Allen runs a lot. He's a really fun DFS quarterback. Stefan Diggs, of course, is a fun option. John Brown's a fun option. 
And then the last game to look at would be the Rams and the Eagles between, again, two of the fastest teams in the NFL. And both of those teams have been really fast as long as McVay and Peter- Peterson have been there. So it's just something to look at is when you, whenever you see two teams and, you know, Dallas Atlanta is one thing where you have two really great offenses that also run really fast. But one of the sneakiest ways to find some contrarian plays um, in a DFS tournament is if you find two kind of sort of average offenses that people might not obviously see as a shootout game, but right. they both run at a really high pace. That's where you might be able to get some interesting value out of a tournament slate. I was very surprised to hear that the Jets did ramp, but like their offense looked so bad, but I guess it, it didn't look as bad because maybe they were just speeding things up a little bit. I didn't even, I didn't even put that together. I uh, hadn't looked at those numbers yet, so that's a good thing to watch for, especially in, like you said, like a game this week where they're without so many of their defensive backs. This could be a really good sneaky um, game for someone, say, like Perriman, if he's healthy, and, and you can throw him in there. It could make you some money. Yeah, and I think the nice thing, I mean, I don't know how much you're going to want to play a lot of Jets because I do think that they suck. But, I mean, Perriman, um, he's going to get a good matchup without Sherman. Herndon's going to get a lot of targets without Crowder. And I think the nice thing is, you know, Jets and Washington last year were two teams that, you know, they were really not very good defensively. But because they ran so slow, it was hard to play the teams against them because they really limited play volume. If the Jets are a fast team this year, even if they're bad, it at least makes playing um, their opponents a lot more fun. And we saw that in week one where Allen had a huge game. Brown and Diggs had really good games. So, Absolutely. So to stay for time, you definitely like to throw onto your Twitter feed the rundowns of your games for the week, which I think is great. But I want to talk about three specific matches that you had in mind to base your money, I suppose your money earnings on. And you have game number one down is Atlanta and Dallas. Why is this a stack of the week type game? Yeah, this one is going to be the chalk stack of the week. And when I say chalk, that just means it's something that everyone is playing. And last week, I kind of faded the chalk a little bit on Tampa Bay, New Orleans. And I think for the most part, um, that was probably the right call. This week, I'm, I'm just swallowing all of the chalk. I think with Atlanta, Dallas, it's very good chalk. You got two fast teams, you got two great offenses, um, and two teams with pretty bad defenses. Dallas's defense looked a little better than I expected against LA, but they were really milking the clock. They were running the ball a lot. And so I don't think we necessarily got to see Dallas fully unleashed in the way that I think they're going to be against an Atlanta team that's going to come out throwing and they're going to be pushing the pace right from the start. The other nice thing is that you've got two offenses here that utilize three receivers on the field on almost every snap. So there's a lot of opportunities to stack each of these quarterbacks with multiple wide receivers. Um, And there's a lot of options to get into this and not that high of prices. So both these quarterbacks are elite plays in cash games or in tournaments. Um, I think both of the running backs um, could be interesting plays. Zeke is going to be one of the best plays on the slate this week. He might be the best play on the slate this week. He looked great in week one. He was involved in the pass game, obviously involved in the rush game. He gets every goal line touch. Um, Gurley was interesting. You watched that game, I think, more closely than I watched that game. He looked great, didn't get a lot of snaps. What do you feel about Gurley this week? I think that the no preseason is skewing snaps. Um, so when I look at 
I was a little sad to see Ito Smith on a football field again as a, a high-volume girly owner in dynasties. I went and picked him up a lot this year while people were on the downswing. And he looked, they like, look, he ran the ball really well behind an average offensive line. Uh, they weren't going to keep up with Seattle if they ran the ball, so they pulled him off the field. He didn't get a lot of the receiving work that maybe I thought he would have, but on the ones that he did, again, he looked good. I think they're easing him in, and I think that a lot of people are going to go with the Zeke play in DFS this week. If you want to stack on this game, I don't think playing Gurley at the price he's going to be is going to be a bad thing at all. Yeah, I think the only thing with Gurley that I take out of that is that I thought he was going to be used in the pass game more, like you said. And so, you know, if this game was in week one, I would have considered doing a double running back stack here with Zeke and Gurley. I don't know how great I feel about that now. I think if Atlanta falls behind, Gurley might be a rough play. But I think, you know, in DFS tournaments, it's a lot about making assumptions. And I think it's fair to make an assumption that Atlanta gets the lead. I think that's very possible. And if they're up or at least in neutral game script, we could see a lot of Gurley. And he looked terrific when he was on the field. He got utilized. And they then were, maybe you go to, you know, Lamb and Gallup or Cooper as bring back options with Dallas having to throw the ball if they're chasing points a little bit. Right. I just think, I think that the, if you're playing this game, like it's just like as your this is your game, single game, whatever, uh, and, and you're trying to get the advantage, I think that Gurley would be what would. Because everyone's going to kind of want to play that sneaky Russell Gage now. People are going to want to play Ridley with Julio being on this new injury report or whatever. Like maybe they're going to go with the gauge, you know, whatever. I think Gurley is the guy that's going to be the odd man out in this game. And I think that if you want this, that little bit of edge and, and you just want to have a prayer on a guy, I think Gurley's the guy this week. That's interesting. And I think it's good. It's, it's probably one of the only ways to get access to this game that won't be really highly owned. Right. Uh, my favorite player from this game, and it's of that same vein of trying to get access to a really popular game, but in a not as popular way, is Michael Gallup. Um, CD Lamb is going to be owned absolutely through the roof this week, and I think it's fair. He's at $5,200, and he was on the field for over 80% of the snaps, and he looked fantastic. Gallup didn't really do a whole lot, um, but he was getting shadowed by Jalen Ramsey. I, I don't know why, but in the lead-up to that game, I saw so many analysts saying that Cooper was going to be shadowed by Ramsey. I was always very certain it would be Gallup. He's the one that plays at X. Cooper comes into the slot a lot. He moves around. And he saw saps against Ramsey, too. But Ramsey was primarily on Gallup in that game. And I think that, that that's allowing people to maybe think that Lamb has already fully jumped Gallup. I don't think that's the case. Atlanta does not have a shutdown corner like Jalen Ramsey. Not anywhere close. I don't so, even think a, a really NFL caliber corner on that roster right now. No. Like, there is there are no matchups you have to worry about in Atlanta's pass defense. So I think Gallup is a really interesting play. He's just $6,000. Because he's $800 more than Lamb, I expect Lamb to be double the ownership of Gallup. Cooper also is coming off a pretty nice game, so he'll probably be owned a decent amount. Um, I think looking at Gallup um, as a way to get access to this game that won't be super owned is going to be interesting. And especially if you can, if you want to assume that Atlanta gets up, going Gurley and Gallup could be a really interesting approach where you can get access to a highly owned game with two players that I would expect to both be under... 10, 15% owned. Whereas I think guys like Lamb, like Gage, Ridley, the quarterbacks, I think you're going to see really high ownership rates. Zeke, of course, is going to be owned through the roof. And for good reason. I'm not necessarily fading those guys. Yeah. But I think it's, it's, a, it's nice to try and look for ways to target this game in a not obvious way. 
Hurst, I think, is interesting, too, because he kind of sucked in week one, to be honest, other than the one diving catch. Um, well, they just didn't play. His, yeah, but his price actually went up, which, which tells me that he's probably not going to be owned a whole lot this week. Right. Um, I, I, you know, the Dallas Cowboys do not have a safety like Jamal Adams. I think it's totally possible that, um, that Hurst has a bounce back game and you could be getting access to him at pretty low ownership, especially with how many cheap tight ends are, people are going to be clamoring for this week. For sure. Absolutely agree. So on the next game, because I think we've uh, worn out that one a little bit, although I, this is my last point. I don't think I'm going to go all in on this Russell Gage craze that's happening right now because people are tracking uh, last week and his final game from last year mm-hmm. where it was 22 targets over the, those are two completely like the chances of that carrying on are so slim to none. I'm not really going to bank on it this week as I still think Julio's healthy. So i personally, am going to do a little DFS fade of Russell Gage this week. Cause yeah, I think, the fact that he's more expensive than lamb in this game, I think is absurd. It's in absolutely insane. Um, your second game on the slate, so I want to I want to push it along here a little bit. Is uh, Minnesota and Indianapolis? Uh, Minnesota looked horrendous last week uh, in general, right until the end of the game, and Indianapolis did their best. L.A. Chargers impression with Philip Rivers. Oh yeah, they back and blew the game. So why would you have this game as a stackable game? Yeah, so this one's a little riskier, but at the same time, it's probably not going to be as heavily owned. And I think it has a lot of pathways to success here. So with this game, um, both of these secondaries looked absolutely abysmal in week one. Um, And in DFS, that's a really good thing. We don't want to have good secondaries. Um, Xavier Rhodes, um, you know, he left the Vikings. He left them with very bad corners. And now he's a bad corner on the Indianapolis Colts. Um, both of these teams got entirely abused. And this is one of the most interesting games from a pace perspective. So the Colts last year with Jacoby Brissett were a very slow team. But under Frank Reich with Andrew Luck, they were one of the fastest teams in the NFL. And so I was very interested to see how they would run with, run with Phillip Rivers. And they run at a blitzkrieg pace with Phillip Rivers. They were, um, they were second, actually, in the NFL in positive game script um, pace. And they were in the top five as well in neutral game skirt pace with the Vikings was one of the most interesting teams to watch because they were, I believe, in the bottom two or three in neutral game script pace. But as soon as they fell behind, they actually led the NFL in week one in negative game script pace. So this is one where it's a little risky because I think if the Vikings were to get up ahead in this game, they are going to sit on the ball because that's what they want to do. Yeah. But I think that this game being in Indianapolis, Indianapolis, they are a slight favorite in this game. If the Colts are the one that gets out ahead, they've shown that they're going to keep running at a very high pace while ahead. And the Vikings will speed things up while trailing. And if you see that type of situation, um, I think you could be looking at a game that's going to well surpass the over under and really overperform in terms of fantasy. And there's a lot of good options here. Um, Clark Cousins, Philip Rivers are both really cheap quarterback options. I think Paris Campbell is going to be really heavily owned at just $5,300, but I think he's a bankable cash game play. Hilton at $6,300. He was one of my favorite plays last week. It didn't really work out, um, but everything was there. He had a lot of air yard share. He had nine targets. It just, um, the efficiency wasn't there, but I think it easily could be this week and another really good matchup. And he's historically 
been a much better play at home and indoors. Um, and that's what he gets this week. The most interesting play on the slate, and frankly, I think this is a choice everyone has to make when they log in to DraftKings or FanDuel, is what to do about Jonathan Taylor. Because I can't remember the last time we have had a play this good, this cheap. Like, we're looking at probably an elite running back talent at $5,800 on FanDuel, um, who's going to be probably seeing 80% of the running back rushing share and he saw six targets in the first game. So what do we do with that? Um, usually, whenever you get the cheap running back, even if they project for a workhorse role like a Boston Scott last week, it's usually the sharp play to fade that running back because usually that running back isn't very good. <laughs> with Taylor, that's not the case. So what do you do with a running back who might be like 70% owned this week, um, but probably has reason to? I think is one of the most interesting decisions on the slate. What say you? I think I'm playing him. I think I'm playing him. I think people are going to get too cute with this information. Cause even I'm, I'm looking at the DraftKings now just maybe cause I already have a lineup. I made it last night because I figured they were going to change what he was worth. And I'm looking, he's $5,700 on DraftKings. Uh, to put that in perspective, Le'Veon Bell, who's on IR is 5,200. So I think that I'm I'm just going to play him and I'm just going to hope that he absolutely goes off and it puts me ahead of everyone that maybe tries to get cute and maybe plays a Todd Gurley or, or someone else or pays up for a running back that maybe doesn't have a great week. Maybe the people that same kind of people that would maybe play a Joe Mixon, you know, those types, maybe, you know, even a Miles Sanders doesn't have a great matchup this week and hoping that Jonathan Taylor just crushes at his price and allows us to spend up a little bit elsewhere. I, I'm playing Taylor. I'm playing Taylor in every lineup. That's, and that's what you need to do. If you're, if you're playing him, you literally need to play him in 100% of your lineups or close to it. I think in cash, first of all, in cash, if you're not playing Jonathan Taylor, you're incompetent, to be honest. Like in terms of just the value perspective, he needs to be in your right. lineup. In tournaments, you need to make a choice. What you do not want to do is log into um, your DFS source at 12.01 p.m. Central Time and see that he has 60% ownership and you have 45% ownership. You do not want half of your lineups to be tied to a player that you're beneath the market on. That's an absolute disaster. So if you're playing Jonathan Taylor, you need to be playing him so absurdly highly that you're above market. And it's probably going to take 80 to 100% of your tournament lineups to achieve that. If you aren't playing him, then just full fade. You don't need to do the 30% ownership because then you're going to be beneath consensus and you're still going to have him. So if he plays great, you're screwed. If he doesn't play great, you're still screwed. So you have to just be decisive. It's an all or nothing play this week. You either have to just swallow the chalk and say, I think he's going to ball out. And so I'm going to be above consensus no matter what, because he's in every single one of my lineups. Or if you're fading him, just commit and hope that the touchdowns go to Hines or to Campbell or whatever. And then you have a situation where over half the lineups in the tournament you're in have a guy who didn't do that well. But you have to be decisive in this case. So... My next question then is what if are you worried about a situation where he ends up with kind of like a Clyde job uh, this week, like Clyde had last week, where he gets all the rushing? He did, Clyde ended up scoring a touchdown, but I mean more in that he's going to get replaced for the pass catching work and he doesn't get a score. Like, do you even see that being possible? Or do you just think Jonathan Taylor is so good there's no way he doesn't walk away with multi scores in your lineup? It's very possible. It's very possible he doesn't get a score. 
Because, I mean, it's, it's possible anyone doesn't get a score, right? I mean, look at Derrick Henry. He had 31 carries and, like, right. five carries inside the 10, and he didn't get a score. Like, shit happens. So, especially with the Colts and with Phillip Rivers, they use Hines at the goal line a lot because Phillip Rivers likes to have a pass game option at the goal line. It wouldn't surprise me if he doesn't get a score. And if you're fading him, that's what you're banking on. I do think he's going to get pass game work. He saw six targets last week. Max saw three targets before going out. Hines saw eight. Whoever's on the field, no matter what the down is, Rivers and that lovely little noodle arm of his will be dumping it off to the running back. So, okay, I just have a couple of questions then. Would you take Ronald Jones? Uh, I'm going to go just on DraftKings. This is what I'm looking at right now. Would you go Ronald Jones at 5,200 or Jonathan Taylor at 57? So, I mean, in terms of value, it's Taylor. That's why I say he should be in every single cash game lineup. But I do think it's worth being contrarian. So Ronald Jones and David Montgomery are the two guys that I think are in really good spots with really good matchups, similar prices, that will probably have no ownership because everyone's going to be on Taylor that if you want to be contrarian, you could consider because I think it's very possible that one of them outscores Taylor this week. And if they do, then you've made a really, really great call. So Taylor's the better play, but sometimes when it comes to tournaments and DFS, you don't always go with the better play because we're playing a game of probabilities, right? Right. It's very possible that Taylor is the better play, but that he gets zero touchdowns and Ronald Jones gets two. That's possible. Is there a situation where you would play Naheem Hines over Jonathan Taylor? Yeah, I'll be playing Naheem Hines in lineups because almost no one's going to play Taylor and Hines. And so if you assume that the Vikings get up ahead, I would be playing something like a Cousins, Cook, Thielen, Hines lineup. I think that that's a doable lineup because a lot of people are going to be doing, I think a lot of people will stack this game. So I think if people stack the Vikings, the most common bringbacks will be Campbell or Hilton. So I think Hines is a contrarian play. And I think, I think that there is a window where you could play Heinz and Taylor. I think that that's like not a lot, but I would, I'm going to do one lineup this week with Heinz and Taylor, both in that lineup um, and expect a Chubb hunt level because those are both so cheap. You can just fill the rest of your lineup out with studs. Right. Almost no one's going to have that pairing. If if they both score two touchdowns, you're winning. Like I'm currently looking at a lineup that I'm, I've been half in the middle of making all day. Because uh, I'm just doing some research and things, and it's got Dak, Ceedee Lamb, Michael Gallup. Because Dak's 68, Ceedee Lamb's only 4700, Gallup's 5600. So I'm gonna, I'm, I'm really looking at Taylor at 5700, and say, you know, a Ronald, a Ronald Jones or a Neem Hines, and just maxing out my tight end and flex for these games. Is that a situation that you would consider to to get ahead, or is there like another replacement you would take? Or would you, would you play Naeem Hines and Taylor in that situation? Um, if I'm playing Naeem Hines and Taylor, I'm doing that as a full stack. So okay. if, if your primary stack is the Dallas game, I, I probably wouldn't do that. Because for both running backs on one team to both pay off the way you need them to, the game needs to go really berserk, right? Okay. So you see that with Cleveland last night where Chubb and Hunt both pay off. They scored 35 points. If the Colts score 35 points, which is probably what they need to do for both those to pay off, there's going to be so much value to go around that you want Rivers in your lineup. Um, You probably want Hilton in your lineup. And then you're probably going to want Vikings in your lineup on the bring back. So I would only do it if I'm like quintuple stacking that game. Okay, that's that's a good question for people just thinking that they're going to get ahead and not placing our thing with uh, uh, stacks being as important. For our third game that we're going to break down here real quick on this game stack of the week, have Baltimore and Houston, a matchup that I find to be very interesting for the pieces more on Baltimore side because it seems like everyone in 
is just bailing off of Houston as fast as they can. Why would this be a game that you'd want to stack because of that situation? Yeah, so with this one, this is definitely the the third most likely game I'm going to be stacking. Um, and, you know, there's definitely opportunity for it to go haywire. But what I'm looking at on this game in terms of the fundamentals is it is uh, the second highest over under the week at 50 even, only behind the Atlanta-Dallas game. Um, Houston is an interesting team in terms of pace because traditionally under Bill O'Brien, they've been one of the fastest teams in the league. They were a lot slower last week. However, their game against Kansas City last year was one of the slowest paced games that they had played all year. So I think that might be game plan specific and they might come out a little bit faster against Baltimore. But what this is, is a classic bring back game. You know, I think, I don't think that this is going to be a particularly close game. The spread is seven. And frankly, I would take Baltimore with that spread, but at least Houston's at home. So you might have a little bit more hope that they might be able to keep it somewhat close. Everyone on the Baltimore side, you want to play, right? I mean, Houston is one of the worst defenses in the league. The chiefs did pretty much whatever they wanted against them last week. Uh, Baltimore is going to be, of course, one of the best two or three offenses in the league. So of course you want to play Lamar. You always want to play Lamar. Um, who do you want to stack them with? You know, Brown or Andrews or both. It's, they're one of the easiest teams in that regard because they really only have two viable pass catchers. So right. whenever you're playing Lamar, you're either playing Lamar Andrews, Lamar Brown, or Lamar Brown Andrews. Um, the running back situation, and then Houston is where it gets interesting. So running backs for Baltimore, I don't think I will play a Baltimore running back this week. Um, to do right now. Sorry? It's, it's really tough to do when you're trying to figure out the uh, the Baltimore backfield. I, I don't really want to touch it till there's some clarity. Yeah, I just, I generally, teams that don't throw a lot to their running backs, if there's not only one running back getting the carries, I don't want it. Like, the of course, both Ingram and Dobbins have a pretty clear path to a two-touchdown game. And any running back that scores two touchdowns, they're viable. But it's really hard to see a scenario where unless they do score two touchdowns, where you're sad that you missed out, right? Like, even if they score one, what's the most likely carry number for Dobbins and Ingram? Like, somewhere between 10 and 15 each? Maximum. You know, maximum, right? Because Edwards is going to have a handful, too. And what's, what do you think they're going to get target-wise? Probably not more than two or three. If that, yeah, you're right. Right? So if you're looking at 12 carries, two targets, like, you're probably looking at, you know, unless you bust a really long one, but realistically, you're looking at about... Eight fantasy points minus touchdowns. If you get one touchdown, 14 fantasy points. Okay, you're viable, but you're not that sad you missed out. Even if you get two touchdowns, 20 fantasy points. Is that enough to get you into a perfect lineup? Maybe. Um, You know, it'd be helpful, but it's not to the point where you're like, if you didn't play J.K. Dobbins, you lose, right? Last week, Dobbins got you two touchdowns. If you didn't play J.K. Dobbins, you were fine. Um, So I'm just not going to chase that unless I see one of those backs clearly get a majority of the work or one of them actually start getting utilized in the pass game. Otherwise, you're hoping for like a three-touchdown game. And that's definitely not something you want to do. And especially, even just for your mental state, you don't want to be playing with the Baltimore backfield because Justice Hill's going to come in and catch a pass out of nowhere. Gus yeah. Edwards is going to get put on the goal line. You're going to shove your head through a window pane. It's just not something you want to experience right now in the Baltimore backfield. When you're stacking it in a game like this, and you have, let's say, if you're playing Lamar and you're playing Brown, you're playing um, uh, Andrews. Are you taking David Johnson on the other side? Is that kind of where you're bringing it back? Uh, because I, 
want to play Fuller. I don't really want to play Cooks or stacking this game. So if you want to maximize, how would somebody maximize this game with both teams? If you're not yeah, just more. I'm probably not playing David Johnson at all. He's really expensive. And, I mean, Baltimore gave up yards on the ground, but I just think it's, it's really likely that Houston gets totally game-scripted out of running the ball. And then you're hoping that the Sean Watson's checkdowns go to David Johnson. You know, right. I, and, right, is Duke Johnson playing this week? I think he's questionable as of now, right? So maybe if Duke is out, then maybe, because then David Johnson might get all those checkdowns, I'd consider it. But we don't know who would be in the game in negative game script because Duke Johnson was out of that game by the time they got locked in negative game script last week. So I'm not going to touch David Johnson if Duke Johnson's playing. If he isn't, maybe. But I still don't feel like I have that big of a fear of missing out because they're probably going to be chasing points. And if you're chasing points, you're probably not running it a lot at the goal line. You're probably passing. So to me, if I'm bringing it back, I would really only bring it back with Fuller. Um, Okay. The reason for that is just I think he's going to get a shit ton of targets. Um, You know, he got a lot of targets in in the Kansas City game. He's probably going to get a lot of targets in this game. Um, And at least with him, too, even if if the target volume doesn't work off, he does have a lot of deep routes. So he has multiple paths to me. Like one path is, okay, he gets totally bottled up, but he only catches three balls. However, one of them is a 60-yard touchdown. That's very possible. And the other one is they fall behind. They're passing a lot, and he gets 13 targets. I think – I think he has two paths, so I don't mind bringing it back with Fuller, and he's pretty cheap. He's, I think, only $100 off the price of Hollywood Brown, so a lot of people, I think, will triple stack the Ravens, so if you go um, Lamar, Brown, Andrews, say you might do a double stack where you go Lamar, Andrews, Fuller, and say Andrews gets one or two of the touchdowns, Hollywood doesn't get any, but Lamar gets a rushing touchdown, so you don't really need the double stack, and then Fuller comes back. If he outscores Hollywood Brown, now you've got like a bit of a contrarian set up there. So I, I'll probably be using a bit of Fuller. All right, that makes a lot of sense. That's, that's going to cover the three games. I want to get into your cash game plays of the week. I, want, I would like you to hit me with one from each spot, your cash games. Here we go. Yeah, so in, in terms of cash game at running back, um, I think I led on to it. I mean, the best value play of the week is Jonathan Taylor. And the thing is with cash games is you don't have to overthink it, right? If you just want to play the best, expected value on the board and it doesn't matter how owned they are um, you can swallow as much chalk as you want and Jonathan Taylor is good chalk you know he's probably in my opinion I don't think this is hyperbole one of the best five or ten pure rushers in the league already and he's going to get fed touches he's probably the favorite for most of the goal line work although I think it's possible Heinz works in and at $5,800 you just are never going to get the chance again to play Jonathan Taylor $5,800 so I think he has to be in 100% of your cash lineups. I think the only way that he totally busts is by injury. Um, but I think so many people are going to be playing Jonathan Taylor in cash that it's, the fear of missing out is very high with him. Um, oh. A wide receiver, it's CeeDee Lamb for me. Um, the way Dallas ran their offense is Lamb, Gallup, Cooper are going to be on the field pretty much every single play. Um, and I don't think that CeeDee Lamb is really definitively that much worse of a play than Gallup or Cooper. Um, he's an outstanding talent. He looked really explosive on Sunday night and Atlanta has no corners. So I think it's possible we get a shootout there and him being at $5,200, you get to play a really talented player at a really low rate. And that's going to allow you to spend up, um, throughout the rest of your lineups, especially at quarterback where it can sometimes be difficult in cash. Right. Tight end. We're going super, super cheap. It's Logan Thomas for me, uh, in cash. And that might seem kind of scary, but he saw 
the second highest percentage of his team's air yards among all tight ends in the NFL last week. Washington really doesn't have any proven pass catchers behind Terry McLaurin. It's Logan Thomas and it's Steven Sims and it's not much else. And they're probably going to have to throw it a little bit at Arizona. Arizona's one of the fastest teams in the league. Washington played a pace-up game against Philly under Scott Turner, who's always been a pretty fast uh, pace play caller. So I think you're probably looking at really a floor of six or seven targets for Logan Thomas at $4,700. And if he's able to find the end zone, you know, against a team in Arizona that at least last year was really, really, really bad against tight ends, um, at $4,700, I think that's a really nice floor play with a decent ceiling. And then a quarterback, I'm not overthinking it this week. There's so much value on the board at wide receiver and at tight end and even at running back with Jonathan Taylor. I'm just going to go with Dak Prescott. Um, he would be probably my number two quarterback overall in the week behind Lamar. I think Lamar is totally acceptable this week in cash against Houston because there is that value on the board. But if I had to pick one, I'd probably go with Dak because he's a little bit cheaper. Um, and I think he's going to absolutely roast the Falcons secondary, um, just like we saw Russell do. Right. Okay. I like that. I like that. Where are you going on the, on the DST? Yeah, I'm going to go with Washington. Um, they were one of my favorite defensive uh, plays last week against Philly in their banged up O-line. Arizona, I think their O-line's a little improved. But um, still, you know, that's still a pretty young group. Kyler Murray, similar to Russell Wilson and Deshaun Watson, He's a guy that really wants to wait until sort of the last minute to let the play develop. Um, and he's going to take sacks doing that. So I think Washington has one of the best front five, front six, front sevens on their defensive line that they can rotate guys through. I, I would expect to see three or four sacks of Kyler Murray this week. And that's really where you get a floor. And if Kyler ends up fumbling or throwing an interception or something like that, then that's where you can really see the ceiling. So I like Washington this week. Fantastic, man. That's a good. If you can squeeze all those guys in there, I think you're looking at a good advantage uh, for your tournament plays, which is a little bit different. Uh, what are your top five for those games? Yeah, so I think my favorite tournament play and it's it's a more owned tournament play than I usually like at quarterback, but it's Matt Ryan. Um, I like Dak a lot, too, in tournaments. They're going to be my most they're going to be both very highly owned in tournaments and in cash. I think they're interchangeable. Um I guess I lean Ryan slightly um, in tournaments just because he's cheaper and I really want to have Derrick Henry and Zeke and Barkley um, in a lot of tournament lineups this week, especially since I'm a little bit more prone to fading Jonathan Taylor possibly in tournaments than I would be in cash. So uh, I'm going to go with, with Matt Ryan there. I mean, he's going to be probably facing negative game script against a bad secondary and they're going to play pace up and he's going to be winging it all over the yard. He had like what? 450 pass yards in week one. Yep. I think yep. it's very possible we see that again. And if you're hitting 400 passing yards, I mean, that's such an absurd floor. And, you know, he has the upside to throw four touchdowns for sure. And they're a team that they play fast and they pass even when they are up. So yeah. even if they do get off to a good start, I think the, the floor for Matt Ryan is enormous. And he can go berserk um, against this defense. And Dirk Cutter does not like to run the ball. I think he's no. I think it actually bores him up in the booth when they. <laughs> yeah. He he wants to sling it everywhere, and for fantasy purposes, that's very helpful. Yeah. Um, Where are you looking at? A... That, yeah, I'm looking at I'm looking at the exact opposite of the Falcons. Um, I'm looking at Derrick Henry. Um, you know, this is a guy that had 31 carries uh, in Week One. That's an absolutely obscene number. It's incredible that he didn't score a touchdown, but 31 carries in Week One. 
He's going up against Jacksonville, who they played better as a team than you would have expected in week one, but they still gave up well over 450 yards of total offense to the Colts. Um, You know, they didn't look like they're that much of an obstacle. Derrick Henry, I would be frankly surprised if he didn't see at minimum 25 carries in this game. Um, He should be able to go for over 100 rushing yards. And he ran 22 pass routes last week. That's the most pass route. It's more pass routes than he ran at any point last year. So he actually had three catches on three targets. If you scale that out where he's averaging three targets a game and he actually can get 40 receptions this year, that really provides an element of ceiling for Derrick Henry um, that, that we wouldn't normally see. So I love Derrick Henry this week. I think that the, pos- the possibility for just an absolute boom of like 130, 150 total yard game with two or three touchdowns is there. He's going to be my most owned running back in tournaments this week. And he's going to be popular, I know, but I think he's good chalk. And I think there's other ways to diversify. Um, a wide receiver. I mentioned this guy earlier, and this is one of the ways I'm kind of diversifying despite a popular game, and it's Michael Gallup. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong, but I I'm, I'm feel confident that he's going to be the least owned of the three Dallas wide receivers um, because I think people either pay up for Cooper and the 14 targets last week or they're going to pay down for Lamb, who had more targets than Gallup and is a cheaper salary. I think Gallup is where you're going to actually be able to see around 8% ownership, 10% ownership is where I'd guess. And if I'm wrong, let me know. But I think he has a great chance to have a really good week, and he's not going to be that highly owned. And he's the one that gets the most deep work in this offense. So I always love Michael Gallup in tournaments. Okay, what's your, t- what's your tight end spot for a tournament? Where does that differ? Yeah, so this is one where I think um, actually you're going to get an opportunity at tight end to go for some guys that would normally be higher owned because I think there's three super, super obvious cheap tight ends this week. Um, I think Logan Thomas is going to get a lot of play. I think Chris Herndon is going to get a lot of play. But the guy I'm going with is Johnny Smith. Um, He looked just incredibly explosive on Monday night. He's going up against a Jacksonville team that gave up a pretty decent game to Jack Doyle last week. And, I mean, they're going to give up points to everyone. Um, Tennessee, they looked, you know, they looked interesting. Ryan Tannehill had 43 pass attempts. That's more pass attempts than he had in any game as a starter last week. They played very fast. They ran um, over 80 offensive plays in a regulation game. That's remarkable. Um, If they play at that type of speed against Jacksonville, even in positive game script, you might be looking at some decent volume for Ryan Tannehill. And they throw their tight ends a lot near the goal line. Of course, sometimes it's to Michael Pruitt, and sometimes it's to Anthony Ferkser, and so you get a little tilted. But he's clearly the, the most able red zone threat on this team, I think, right now. Um, Corey Davis has been limited in practice this week with a hamstring injury. He's going to play, but I don't really love playing over-owned receivers with hamstring injuries. That seems dicey. Uh, And Corey Davis, right, he's not Julio Jones. He has a history of disappointing you when he goes into a game with an injury designation. So I think he's kind of a fade. Um, A.J. Brown's not playing. Adam Humphreys is Adam Humphreys. So... I, I'm going to be playing a lot of Johnu Smith in tournaments, and I think he's totally fine in cash. Um, okay. Defense, um, this is the last one. I'm going, to do, um, I'm going to go to the Green Bay Packers. So their front seven um, has been pretty ferocious since the Smith brothers got there, Preston and Zadarius. I know they're not actually brothers, but... Um, nice. And they're the same price as the Washington DST, and that's why I'm going to them in tournaments. I think Washington is going to be really heavily owned for the reasons I just laid out as a cash play. So that leaves Green Bay, I think, not very owned at all. 
Um, Detroit's down Kenny Galladay in this game. Um, Green Bay is quite a sizable home favorite in this game. And so I think it's very possible that Green Bay puts up a decent week as a DST. Um, and on the off chance that they outscore Washington, the asymmetrical upside of that is going to be really large because I think Washington's going to be a, about four or five times as heavily owned as Green Bay. And if they're able to outscore Washington, you're gaining a lot of opportunities um, with, you know, with similar lineup constructions to what people are building with Washington. That's great, man. I mean, that's, those are definitely a lot of the people and a lot of the teams that I'm targeting for this week's games, and I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to it. What's your uh, big money-making, help-everyone-win, you know, two-grand-in-one-game lineup that you're, you're playing this week? Let, let's make the people some money. Yeah, so this week, um, the, uh, the Sunday Million lineup that we're rolling out, um, I've mentioned a lot of these guys, of course, already. So what we're doing here is we're going to do Matt Ryan at quarterback. We're going to go an absolutely aggressive stack at that um, Atlanta-Dallas game where I think there's a lot of possibilities for a high, uh, a really, really high total in that game. Zeke Elliott's going to be my running back in that game. I'm going to be banking on Dallas getting up to a little bit of a lead and then Atlanta passing, and that's where we go with Ryan. Derek Henry I'm going to do is my second running back for all the reasons we just mentioned. Julio Jones um, is a guy I'm going to be playing in tournaments this week to pair with Matt Ryan. Um, Calvin Ridley had the huge game last week with the touchdowns. And Julio has been limited in practice this week. So I think a lot of that ownership is going to funnel to Ridley. It's even going to funnel to Gage. Julio right. has had a long track record of playing perfectly well with injury designation. So if he says he's fine, he has more than earned the right for me to believe that he's fine. And right. his air yards share last week was absolutely obscene. He had over 200 air yards, ended up with 157 total yards. And just maybe for once in his life, he'll actually score a touchdown or two. So I'm going to go with Julio. Michael Gallup we've talked about, but I'm putting him in my lineup at wide receiver. T.Y. Hilton um, is going to be my third wide receiver in that slot. I think we're going to see a lot of ownership gravitate to Paris Campbell, to Jonathan Taylor, to Naeem Hines. And I think Hilton's going to be a forgotten guy going up against um, a defense in Minnesota that was just hemorrhaging points to the number one wide receiver last week with Devontae Adams. And Hilton's no Devontae Adams, but I think we got an opportunity there at, at over 100 yards and possibly a touchdown. Tight end, I'm sticking with the under-owned Atlanta guys. Hayden Hurst, I think, is going to be really, really minimally owned in this game. He's going against a Dallas team that just lost Leighton Van Der Esch in the middle of the field. Um, and that has generally been not particularly great against tight ends. So I think Hurst, he ran the most routes out of any tight end in the NFL last week. Um, and he has to deal with Jamal Adams. It wasn't a good start. I think people are panicking on him. I'm not yet. So I'm going to go Ryan Julio Hurst with the bring back of um, Elliott and Gallup in that uh, quintuple game stack. Then in the flex, this is an interesting play. We're going to do David Montgomery in the flex. And that's the pivot off of the Jonathan Taylor um, chalk. So he's just $200 cheaper than Jonathan Taylor. He is a massive home favorite against the Giants who had Benny Snell, Benny the Snail Snell, run for well over 100 yards against them on Monday night. I think, you know, we're just playing the percentages. It's a distinct possibility that Taylor has a really good game but does not score and that David Montgomery does and outscores him and you're getting a guy that I think will be like 2 to 3% owned in your flex spot in a smash spot. And then the defense I'm going to, it's also a pivot, right? When we're talking about Sunday Million, huge large field tournaments, we want to be contrarian. And I think the Arizona Cardinals defense is a way to do that. They had a well above average pressure rate against San Francisco 
And the Washington offensive line is much worse than San Francisco's offensive line. Yep. People think of Arizona as an absolutely horrible defense. But with Isaiah Simmons there, with Chandler Jones there, they can actually pressure the quarterback. Patrick Peterson um, is, is back, and he might actually be engaged in playing this year. Um, and so I think that's an improved unit that people haven't caught on to yet. People last year were getting a lot of value out of playing Tampa Bay and uh, San Francisco early in the year when people hadn't really realized that actually these are really impressive front sevens just because they weren't a week ago. And so no one's going to be playing the Arizona defense this week. Everyone's going to be on Washington in that game. Arizona's super, super cheap, and it allows you to stack um, a really, really interesting lineup together. So that's my Sunday Million lineup. Where are you going here for the um, your live lineup build here as we finish this show up? All right, so for the uh, week two of the my lineup, it's going to be better, way better than Jacob, and he gets no credit for it, lineup of the week. Uh, I'm actually going to take a lot of your advice here. So I'm looking, staring down at Dak Prescott. That's where I'm going to go. He's 6,800 here on DraftKings. So we're going to go, we're going to lock him in. For my wide receivers, I've locked in Amari Cooper and Michael Gallup at 6,300 and 5,600 respectfully, which are absolute steals here. Allowing me to go with Julio Jones at 7,400 for the same reasons that you mentioned. Uh, I think that the Russell Gage hype up is is way too strong right now, and I I just think he comes crashing back down to earth. Right. Last uh, week was the week to play Russell Gage, and we enjoyed it, and it was great, and now we leave him behind. Exactly. Uh, which leaves my running backs to get stacked, only because at tight end I'm playing uh, Mo Ali Cox at 3,000 Kings. Uh Jack Doyle's out, by the way. Um, so that's that's a nice deep play. Exactly. I'm thinking uh, with my running backs, how I stack them here, he's going to give me a great opportunity to rank in point, points on a play that I don't think a lot of people are going to be focusing on. I actually thought about Jordan Reed here uh, with the Kittle news. who's uh, He's actually like $300 cheaper than Moali Cox. But when I went through the lineups, I, figured, I realized there's no players that this – really pushes someone up a tier. So I'm going to keep it, keep it at Molly Cox and leave the off-injured uh, Jordan Reed out of my lineup. In doing so, it allowed me to stack my running backs with Derrick Henry at 7,900 and Jordan Taylor at 5,700. I almost went with Montgomery. He's only $100 cheaper than Taylor, but I figured for the $100, it doesn't help bump anybody up. So I wasn't going to push it. Now for my flex, so cheap. Deontay Johnson against Denver is 4,500 right now. That's interesting. I was, that's what I was thinking. I was going to go with uh, Darius Slayton, who I like this week in his matchup. He scored the two touchdowns. I don't think he's going to score two again, even though he could. But Deontay Johnson is for sure going to get his targets against Denver. He got 10 targets last week. Really good. My defense is where I'm struggling right now. Defense, I'm struggling. I'm actually going to play the Rams. I'm going to play okay. the Rams. That's a good play. I think that uh, Wentz is going to get absolutely obliterated, and he's going to throw these two balls for picks, and the sacks are going to come. So my big, huge, million-dollar, super ultra-good newbie rookie lineup that we're putting in here is Dak, Jonathan Taylor, Derrick Henry, Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup, Julio Jones, Gigantor, Moali Cox, Deontay Johnson, and the Rams defense. And that's going to do it for week two. I hope you guys lock in your money. Um, and I just wanted to say quick, um, um, just another clarify um, for people that didn't listen to the first show, 
when Tom's building that lineup, that's a DraftKings lineup. Mine's a FanDuel lineup. His flex being a wide receiver, DraftKings is a full PPR site. It is entirely acceptable to play a wide receiver and flex on DraftKings. If you are building a lineup in FanDuel, do not play a wide receiver in your flex position under any circumstances. It's punishable by death, but it's entirely acceptable, possibly even optimal on DraftKings. So when Tom's doing that in the flex, I consider the flex on FanDuel to be a third running back slot. It's totally acceptable to play wide receiver in the flex on DraftKings. So I just want to make that distinction for people. That's a very good point. Uh, it's just future reference, yeah, I always go DraftKings. It's just what I'm used to. So like I said, I hope you guys locked in your lineups. I uh, hope you guys are listening to us. Let you let us know. Follow on, on Twitter. That's uh, FF underscore RTDB, and that's FFIMBQ. Let us know. Show us your lineups. Show us the, mo- the, the money you're raking in because that's all we're here to do and, and keeping it keeping it fun for you guys. So that's going to do it week two. That's the tilt. Go make some money. Thank you.